Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. My name is Miguel Nevsch and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB. In this episode titled Influencing Destination Selection, I have the pleasure of speaking with Irina Graf, the founder of The Mice Blog and Event Planners Talk. We cover a lot of topics around destination and event marketing, including how the pandemic has changed online content from being high production video to more raw video content, the importance of making advertising disclosures clear in influencer marketing, why it takes at least five years to see the results of destination marketing, why events can and should connect and engage participants online in advance of an in-person event so that deeper networking and more complex topics can be discussed on site and why smaller interactive events create strong community connections. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager podcast on our website or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager blog. Uh, today I am joined by Irina Graf, the um, founder of the Mice Block and Event Planners Talk. Irina, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Miguel, and thank you for having me here. Very excited. Excellent. Um, I, we've known each other for a while, I think. Uh, I don't know how many years, probably uh, 10 years, since, yeah, 7 since, years, yeah, something like that. 10 years, that's the time that I lived in London and you as well, I believe. So Exactly. So would love to um, have you introduce yourself and just talk a little bit, you know, very briefly about your, your journey in, in the event industry. Sure. So uh, I started with the hotel management school in Switzerland and then um, the tourism management as well. And uh, while doing an internship actually in Munich um, in an events agency, uh, which was part of my studies, um, I found out that you can study events management. So I had this tra trajectory uh, from tourism and hospitality to events and um, I fell in love with this industry. I didn't know before that you can study it full-time for a bachelor degree. And uh, when I found it out, it, um, it became a very attractive opportunity for me. I um, applied for a scholarship um, at Regent's University London. Uh, I got the scholarship and I started a bachelor in events management. Um, being um, in London, it's the hub of everything, a lot of... Um, companies are based in London, there are a lot of networking events happening and um, I decided to start a blog and uh, document my journey to connect with the global events community because um, that was missing for me. Um, I did not know many people, it was uh, the beginning of my journey. Um, social media just started really growing at this time, there was Twitter, there was Facebook, and um, but it was very slow. There was no event community on Twitter. So um, blog. And had you had you blogged before, or this was your first blog as well? That was my first blog. That was my okay. first, and um, I um, started writing about events happening in London. I interviewed uh, several people who I knew from the events industry, and. Um, then it, it just started growing. I went also to a blogger conference, actually. It was at the World Travel Market in London. And um, this inspired me to approach it very commercially. So this was in the very beginning of the blog. Um, and uh, there were travel bloggers uh, speaking on stage about brand collaborations, how to work professionally with PR agencies. And um, 
And um, I took it seriously. I uh, created a media kit and um, started selling it to destinations. And uh, it was well received because uh, there was only me doing mice um, a coverage, uh, being a mice blog. So uh, I got a very good feedback. Um, it encouraged me to continue. Um, I, um, I did it throughout my studies, so there was no rush uh, to generate income. It was just very exciting to have all these collaborations and um, network and be invited to events. And, um, and I also, also noticed that actually people noticed my, my, my stuff. I was um, invited suddenly to events, for example, to write about it on my blog. And that was also as a result of being present on social media. So um, yeah, I finished my studies, um, um, kept growing the community. Um, and uh, upon graduation in 2014, um, I worked for one year and then I decided to focus full-time on the blog. And that also was the time in 2016 that I moved to Germany. So I didn't um, pursue looking for a job in Germany. I just... Uh, did my blog full-time and um, also um, so I founded the blog in 2011 but 2014 I uh, was looking for more ways to to grow conversations with the community because um, the community is very strong on Twitter so um, I said okay I tried to do a Twitter chat and uh, I call it event planner stock um, I started with a monthly Twitter chat once a month and then I had so many topic ideas, so I said, hey, like, why don't I do it every week? And uh, then Monday evening at um, 8 p.m. Um, British, British time, um, it uh, became a fixed um, date on my uh, weekly agenda to, to host a Twitter chat. And since 2014, actually, I'm hosting it almost weekly. So, yeah, it's been a That's very exciting impressive. journey. Do you have a, like a record of all the chats and all the things that, that you've created? I do. I do have all the topics and all the questions. Yeah. Okay. Really yeah, interesting. Like, yeah. Tell me a little bit about this. This you, you you say that you went to an event for bloggers and that sort of, I guess, opened your eyes to the potential of of kind of a commercial blog. Is that? Could you tell me a little bit about that that kind of process and what really made you shift your thinking? Yes, correct. So, um, um, World Travel Market in London. Uh, there was a conference and there were topics like how to work with brands. There was a case study about an Italian destination working with bloggers. Um, the importance of, um, of bloggers and what they bring uh, to the destinations, how brands can actually benefit with, uh, with bloggers. And then um, that your content has value, that it can be monetized. And that um, also the difference between the traditional PR and the, the influencer um, uh, marketing. So it was very new, it was 2011. Um, it's long, long ago, it was just the beginning of this. Um, and uh, I didn't have my first major campaign until 2017. So you can see how slow the mice industry is on this um in this uh, to adopt to this uh, trend but um yeah it shifted my uh, my my perception because there were a lot of people doing it there was a community um i follow the bloggers i i've seen what you can do what you can achieve what type of content you can create and um as i mentioned before the the media kit that was a really changing point in this whole uh, um, kind of, uh, approach is that you are a business. Uh, it's not a hobby, it's a business. And you need to pitch the brands as a business. And you have to be professional. You have to present yourself professionally. You have to know your numbers. You have to know your data. And um, yeah, that's how it's so, Fascinating. I would love to get a little bit more of a sense of, of your journey with the blog, I mean, it's it's a business, it, and I'm sure it's evolved a lot in the last what uh, six years since it's kind of been a, a full time thing. Um, and 
Also, talk to me a little bit about your what you call the community, right? Is that is that a private community? Are you more kind of thinking about the the, the wider community of event professionals on on social media? How do you see that that kind of community sense of things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, the, the community that that are people that interact with my content and what connects us is similar interests about certain topics and uh, being on the same platform. It's not a private community. I don't have a private hub for the members. Um, the community is on social media, mainly on Twitter with my Twitter chat. I just simply decided to separate Irina Graf from Event Planner Stock, not to, uh, not to make it a bit too complicated so people can have a clear overview about the questions, about the topics discussed. So that's why I created Event Planner Stock, separate account for this. So the community is there. There is um, fixed time for this tweet up. And uh, people know that they, um, they can come, they can join, they can uh, read, they can interact, they can network with each other. And I'm providing the content, I'm providing the inspiration for these conversations. It's important to, um, I think it's important to have, uh, to be consistent. And uh, it's important to, to manage the content because you as a community manager have to to provide this inspiration, this food for thought, what people are going to talk about. Um, it happens, it comes from the community as well, but not as quick as we would wish that to happen. So I have a lot of members suggesting ideas and topics, but that happens maybe once in a month. It doesn't happen every week. And for community to strive, to develop, to grow, you have to have a constant stream of content that will drive conversations. And these conversations will be a starting point for the next conversations. So um, I identify the most important topics um, in the industry that happening that week or that month. And I'm quick to bring them on the Twitter chat or on my blog. Um, so what's the difference now you ask probably what's the difference between the event planner stock and um, the mice blog topics in terms of coverage. So the mice blog is mainly about destination marketing. I, I talk about destinations. I work with my destinations and um, I write about case studies specific to a destination. So if it's an event happening at a destination, um, which makes it uh, more destination specific. But also I, um, I focus on very advanced content. So that was also one of the reasons why I wanted to start my blog as an event professional. I, after being five years starting events in the events industry, I realized that there was some gap, you know, you, you know a lot, but then you don't find any more inspiration. So I wanted to be that hub that provides advanced education for event professionals who want something more. Um, it goes into very specific case studies and complex topics. Um, and then event under stock is more of um, more of an open community. Any any person can join, no matter the stage um, in the events industry. It's more global. We talk about very general topics. It's not. It's nothing specific, so it's very open and inviting for everyone. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. And one of the things that I know that you um, have um, spoken about and, and also kind of witnessed the development of is, is also this idea that um, as bloggers become more professional, there's also a need to kind of disclose when it's a, it's a kind of paid commitment, right? Like I think some bloggers may just be just, you know, blogging because they feel like blogging, but at some point when there's a sort of a, a, an exchange of, of funds, there needs to be a disclosure. How have you kind of dealt with that and, and how has that developed since you started? Yeah, so um, it's a very interesting question. And I tell you why, because in the events industry, events professionals in general, are invited to fam trips, right? And uh, these fam trips are all paid for, and the people who go on fam trips are not bloggers, but they share these experiences on social media. So it's a very 
gray area. If you're invited as an event professional and share it on social media, do you need to disclose it that you're invited? Um, in my opinion, yes. Every time that I have um, a press collaboration, if I'm invited as press, uh, if the costs for the stay are covered, I would say it's a press trip. And if there is any monetary exchange, I would say it's advertisement or sponsored content. I think this is very important because I do share a lot of things on social media and some of them are not sponsored. So um, in, this, in this case, there is nothing to disclose, but if there is any exchange um, of services, yes, I would definitely disclose. Um, I, um, so, you know, I knew about it already in 2011, then 14, I was more of a press trip. I was invited as a press. And then 2017, it was, became very commercial. So I was, I've been disclosing it all the time. And I think it's very, very important for the end reader because the way you discover a destination um, when you are invited is different as you would discover the destination as you go there by yourself. So I think it's very, very important to be transparent here as well. So I always disclose it. Interesting. Um, would love to get your, your view on how this influencer and, uh, you know, kind of blogger side of the industry, how that's developed since you, since you started. Yeah, it's, um, it's still developing. So very exciting. Um, there are more players right now and, uh, you know, many of them, you interviewed Sabrina, who is amazing, doing great stuff in this area with destinations, uh, Mariska, uh, Castello, she has the word of mice and she is uh, very great in advocating for the importance of influencer marketing in the events industry. And she also has very great projects uh, together with destinations. Um, I've, se I've seen uh, Bunte doing also cool stuff um, in this space, so more players coming in. Um, I've seen uh, Julia Tripp uh, doing also um, co-branded um, promotion. So there are more players entering, which is very exciting, um, which I think also each um, influencer, content creators, they have a very different angle to how they create content. So I love seeing how they do it because it will not be the same as I would do this. So, um, and I think destinations can really collaborate, um, benefit from this collaboration because also influencers are very active on social media and they chat with each other and they have this community and they are part of the community. So um, it has evolved, it's still evolving. I think it's really just started about two years ago. Um, so I want definitely to see more people taking it seriously and, um, yeah, showing us uh, what's possible because also the market is so big. You know, when you look at um, influencer marketing in lasers, there are like thousands of influencers. Here, I can barely find 10 who do this um, professionally or commercially. So um, there is definitely space for more players here. And why do you think that is? Why do you think it's a, such a small number of people that do this commercially? It's, it's a very big commitment. Um, many people do it alongside um, their main job. So they might be event planners and they, they just do it on the side as a one-off project. Um, lack of case studies, maybe. Um, there are not many um, people who might be approached by um, destinations uh, or the agencies representing the destinations. And um, definitely maybe not knowing what's possible, yeah? I mean, you, you can go to blogger conference, see what's uh, possible, get inspired and start doing it professionally or commercially. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a very, it's also, it is a very, very big commitment. Yeah, I must say it's, um, if, you, if you say, okay, I want to do um, content marketing, uh, digital marketing, collaborate with destinations, it's, uh, it's a full-time job. 
Yeah, it's not to be taken lightly. And what about the content? You mentioned this a little bit already. So how has the content changed? You know, has it become more visual? Has it become different? Um, but also in terms of the audience, has the audience changed, you feel? Yeah, so the content has changed a lot. Um, I started with a blog. And um, since then, we talk about video, vlogging, TikTok, and Reels, which require vertical content. Um, we have uh, different platforms, Instagram, that require this visual content. So, and the pressure to create um, high quality content was very high before the pandemic. Now it has changed because everyone was at home and there was more um, demand for raw content. But, but still you need a certain level of quality when producing this content. So um, yes, content change shifted, a lot shifted to video. Um, now we're doing a podcast also wasn't even talked about five years ago. So, um, there are more platforms to manage. So there is more work to do. I try to focus on three and then supplement also the, the rest that I don't do on a regular basis, because as a content creator, you have to understand what's going on. You have to try the, um, the platforms and you have to create content for the platforms. Um, so this is how the content change. Also one more exciting development is the live streams. I, I really love this. Um, I do them occasionally about twice, three times a month. Um, it's, a, it's a really great way to engage with the community, to, to bring new people on stage, give voice to, to more people from my community. And, uh, and bring new topics. And um, there is always a very interesting conversation in the, in the comments. And um, that's how we also keep in touch and uh, on top of everything what's happening in the events industry. So it's kind of very live component and very important for community building. How the, how the community has evolved. A lot of people in my community are never met them face-to-face. And I find it fascinating, um, the amount of contacts and business that you can generate with people not having met them face-to-face -face is incredible. Um, so while being based in London, I, I was very, very present um, in real life. Um, I went to all these events, conflicts, meeting show, all of them, the, the showcases by destinations. But now I'm in Heidelberg. Um, it's one hour from Frankfurt, but still it's not as active here. I'm not as active here as I was in London. I, um, I go less to events, but I'm able to keep in touch with this community and um, grow my business network just from online conversations. Interesting. So a big shift there as well, or kind of a, a shift in, do you think that as we hopefully get further away from the, from the pandemic or now endemic, if, if, if we're in that yet, um, that it'll stay like that, or do you feel like there'll be a demand to always be present and travel and be at every event and kind of capture content on site? You know, I think it's a very individual choice and it also dependent where you are in your career. When you start out, when I started out, it was important for me to be present. At this time, there, were, there was also no communities online. Um, so we also see this shift happen. But um, being in the beginning of the career, it's important to go to see, to really to network, to get these ideas from live events. Um, later in the career, you know everyone already, um, you know who's who and uh, you know what to expect and you can maybe more shift your focus to online. It's a very, very personal choice. I can't speak for everyone, but I know that for me, um, I will, 
on um, live presence at every event is not necessary for me anymore. I am very selective with the type of events I will attend and um, I will start, certainly be attending less <laughs> events. <laughs> well, tell me about the selection process. I mean, do you have a, a specific criteria for which events you're going to attend or not? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, definitely the proximity of the destination plays a very big role for me. So I'm going to IMAX uh, because it's um, only one hour from where I live. Uh, I'm not going to the IBTM uh, because it's pretty much similar and um, it's further away. Um, I'm going to Munich in July. Um, for an event or, or just for? Yes, for it's, um, I'm judging an award. So it's the ICE Awards. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very close to what I do. It's, it's exactly my niche. So corporate event planners, it's an award for corporate event planners. And uh, I've been to this award in London. It's the first time they're doing it in Germany. So I'm very excited and um, want to see how they are doing it here in Germany and see the work also done among the corporate event planners here in Germany. But again, I'm going by train. Um, I do select destinations that it's easy to get there, uh, that, I, that I can work in the train. I don't need to spend all the day traveling. And it can be a short trip as well. So these are my criteria for 2022. Um, it might change, but it will not change too much. It's, um, there might be, for example, shorter trips in the proximity and maybe one long haul trip like in three months. So I'm trying to balance it because I, I also see that I don't want to travel to be on the road so much because a lot of business can be done online. Uh, I am going only for the important events. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating because I don't think you're alone. Um, but at the same time in the event industry, it feels like there needs to be a balance, right? Mm -hmm. If nobody wants to travel, then we're in trouble, right? The, the business as a whole is in trouble. So it's, it's, it's finding that right balance. Um, but do you think in general, like audiences have changed um, with the pandemic and it's harder for events to attract audiences, especially events that are kind of international and, and you know, require people to travel from different parts of the world? Um, you know, I, I can't speak for everyone. Um, I see right now, I do see that a lot of people, they have a good appetite for travel. Um, I follow for business that. travel though, or oh, for business, leisure yeah, travel? Business travel, yeah, business for travel. Business travel. Um, I mean, I, I've been following the Web Summit um, online. They hosted a live event last year and I think they were very successful. So there definitely was a great demand for live in-person event. Mm -hmm. um, it's again, it, it's, it's, it's very, very individual. I speak, you know, in Heidelberg, it's a very, very strong medical community. And um, I know a lot of uh, doctors here, people who work in the research. And I also from them, for example, I hear different views. Um, some people, they are very keen to go on a, on a scientific conference. But others are happy when the event is hybrid and they, they don't need to interrupt their um, day to day and go for, away for four days. They can just join hybrid and maybe next year go to the event. So there is definite demand for events. And I am also going to events. It's not that I'm not going to events, but I'm very, very selective because I can't go to every single event. It's just not possible. Um, yeah. In a way, so, it's a good problem to have as a blogger, right? You have all these opportunities and you can choose the ones that, that make the most sense for you. Yeah. yeah. But, and again, you know, I am, I am going for events that have a concrete business. Mm -hmm. I will not go for an event just for a potential business. So I'm very, very selective in this. Um, I'm not going to events for exposure, for example. I'm not going... Uh, to an event just to check it out. If I have a concrete business client meeting, 
then I will go to an event. But also I think um, I will be ready to go to meet a client also not event dependent. So it's still business travel, but it's not to an event. So we have to look at this quite um, generally and not just event specific. For sure. Thank you for, for expanding on that. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So I'm interested in, in, you know, the, the kind of influence side. Uh, I don't know if you, if you consider yourself more of an influencer, a blogger, a uh, media, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of kind of different uh, gray areas and happy for you to uh, clarify where, where you, where you, where you fit better, but when you approach a client or, you know, when you're trying to sort of show the potential results that you can achieve for a client what is what do you think is is the kind of the biggest calling card that you have uh you know because i think in in social media and in media in general um a lot of other types of uh training and agencies people would would be more um advising or would maybe do consulting in terms of raising the media profile of a company you know working with pr or increasing their social media content output what you know what's your usp in a sense what do you kind of what picture do you paint for for the clients so that they see what you do as something that's really um ideal for them yeah so there's one thing that i know why destinations want to work with me uh, it's because I have a strong UK and Germany-based audience. This is number one USB. These are very strong UK markets and um, they are attractive. So um, if you want to reach this audience, um, I can help you. But uh, <laughs> um, another USB that um, me as a blogger very excited about is definitely all the high quality content that I produce. Um, of course, it's very, very important for the destinations, but is less important as having the right target audience. So the, so you're, you're saying that the, the kind of the biggest value add in a sense is that you have this community in two major markets, right? So you're bringing, especially for destinations that may not have a strong presence in those markets, that's what you can kind of bring to them. Correct. Yeah. And, and do you feel that that is then has to be a, a continuous, uh, kind of a partnership or, or is there a kind of, you know, a way to, for, for them to capture your audience, you know, do they have to keep working with you? indefinitely to kind of stay in touch with that audience? That's an interesting question. I think yes, uh, because uh, my audience is constantly growing. I am focusing on growth because um, it's important for me to bring new voices to the community, um, to have this exchange, but also for, for the clients to, to have this, to see that the community is evolving. It's not the same people talking about the same stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, it's it's you know kind of you have to see on the on the on the journey of the consumer. Someone is is looking for, for a destination, right? And uh, one year ago, they didn't care about a certain destination, but suddenly it's one of the selected destination in the pitch process, and then. By chance, I might be talking about the destination. And then, you know, and then it shows on social media and then it gives an idea. And then the destination has a greater potential for uh, winning this piece of business. Um, also, an interesting um, 
point is that, and actually now I see it, I start see, seeing the more ROI from um, collaborations that I had five years ago because uh, people see what I do, they, they see my contacts and they ask me, okay, do you know someone from X destination? And um, I do keep in touch with my clients. I see who changed jobs, uh, what's new opening in the destination. And the destinations are constantly evolving. So I think it's very, very important to, to keep talking about a destination um, and show what's, what's new. For sure. Uh, you, you mentioned ROI. Do you have examples of when you know that one of you know, a piece of content that you worked on was, you know, influential in putting a certain destination in a, in an RFP or, you know, getting a bid and, and then, you know, an event happening there, are you ever able to sort of track it all the way through and, and, you know, do you sort of see your, your sites and your, and yourself mentioned in, in things sometimes? Yes, I do. I do. Occasionally people send me some newsletters where the destination was featured. Um, I do um, have a specific pitch that um, the agency were looking for this specific destination so I could introduce them to the direct content, contact at the destination. Um, People do ask me, do you know venues in this city? And I say, yes, I have a blog article about this. Check it out. <laughs> um, destinations, they use my content. Of course, I give the copyrights of the photos to the destination or to the hotel or the venue. They do use this content in their website, on their social media, so they can also use it for their promotional activities. And um, it's a not straightforward approach. It's also, it's about, I would say the ROI takes about three, four, five years. It's not straight away. And, um, but definitely there is um, a potential to, also, also another one, um, the, the content pieces that I create, they are used to show the, to the potential clients in the selection process. So there's a lot of complexity in this. It's not just, mm -hmm. uh, okay, it's not an end client booking it straight away. You know that there are many stakeholders. There are many considerations. Okay, where we at this destination before? Um, where are we going next? Um, who is deciding so there are many complexities but my content is used in the by the destination itself and by the individual planners doing the research fascinating yeah i think that the, the five years i think is, is really interesting to kind of think that long term and, and how investing in content needs to be a, a kind of a long-term strategy um Bit of a fun question, but I think it might be interesting. How do you explain to people outside of the industry what you do? Yeah, so um, when I explain it, I say I work with travel destinations with their business travel division on their digital marketing campaigns. But um, I asked my husband how he would say to his uh, colleagues or family what I do. And he says events marketing. Okay. Yeah, I could see. I could see that that sort of simplifies it in a way. But yeah, do, you, do you promote any events, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm going to fam trips, so I promote events. Uh, I I did uh, several collaborations uh, during IMX the previous year, so it's all events marketing. Um, I do virtual events marketing, so that's yeah. what he sees. But it's a bit more complex than this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what about technology? Um, What's your kind of relationship with event technology um, and, and how has that evolved? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I love technology. I love technology that works, um, um, that, that's very intuitive. And for example, um, Slido or StreamYard, these are my, my all favorite, easy to use, to use um, tools. Um, 
I, I try a lot because I'm going to events, I'm signing up for events, I'm downloading apps. So I try this. Um, but I'm very cautious before introducing it to my, to my community uh, because I don't want to tire them to start logging into different platforms each time. And it can be frustrating. So I will, I will have two, three, four, five, maybe favorite um, tools and I will stick to them for a long time. Um, then I think it's, we don't have to use technology for the sake of using the technology because it's a networking tool. You don't have to download this app to network. I would, I, I can network better on Twitter, for example. So it's not using it for the sake of using it. If this small meeting of five people better to go with Google Meet or Zoom, then it's fine. You don't need an event platform. Um, it's really understanding the purpose of the event and then choosing the right technology for this. Yeah, interesting. And, uh, but you don't work with event technology companies as, as clients or you? Or, I do, I do. You do? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, um, I, so there is um, one event format that I did in the past, which was the virtual hackathon. And um, it was in the very beginning of the pandemic. I didn't know many tools. I didn't know many event platforms uh, 2020. So we use Google Docs, um, um, Slack, and Canva. But now with um, this technology provider that I work with, um, I want to do this hackathon actually on their platform because this would be the right fit for this purpose. Yes, you have, let's say, five groups there, then you need uh, different rooms. You have a chat where everyone can ask a question. Um, you have video calls. Um, you have a competition if necessary. So you can implement some fun elements to the event. Um, you can also highlight your sponsors there. So there you have a whole hub for the event. So for something of this type of complexity, I am looking forward to working with an event platform. But if, but I also host a book lab and I have about five to six people on this book lab and there it's okay if I just use a very simple tool for this, just to send a link. Um, so yeah, just understanding the, the requirements of the event and what do you need, how long it is. And, and also like the branding, if you, if you need certain, Branding requirements, uh, virtual event platforms, they are very good at it and they can definitely bring your message across with, with the visual um, branding. For sure. Talk to me, you know, do you have any sort of um, vision for how events may change? I mean, you were talking about a hackathon, which is still a relatively little used event. Um, do you think there'll be more kind of new formats of events uh, after the pandemic, you know, as we sort of get to a stage where we can do any different type of events that we want to? What do you think is going to change or how do you see events kind of evolving? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so far, I haven't seen much. <laughs> um, in my opinion, the way it should evolve, the, the way I see it. Um, there should be a very strong digital component before the event, so people can already talk about it. They can have some learnings, education, and collaboration. And then at the event itself, they will discuss more complex topics. Um, I, I did a, a hackathon, a virtual hackathon, and... It was a really good experience. It just showed how well you can collaborate with people virtually without knowing them before, without spending too much time on Zoom calls, uh, without emails. You just all together on Slack. Then we split it up on, in, into five groups. And you had really the same brief. You had five different approaches to the same solution. 
and I found it fascinating. It was virtual, uh, uh, 24 hours. It was no 48. Sorry, it was 48 hours collaborative effort, so people also could work across different time zones. Um, there were no meetings that you had to sit. You just have a Google Doc. You just write your ideas. Then towards the end, the teams put it nicely in a PowerPoint presentation or on Canva, and you had this this project and. Um, it, it was really, really fun, and um, it just showed the power of collaboration virtually. And in my opinion, there is huge potential for this, and especially in the lead up to an event. So, if, for example, you have you like the theme of your event is let's say sustainability, for example, then you can already have these small hackathons and. So the people, the community can already narrow down the topics that they want to discuss. You can identify who are the right people to speak about certain topics. Um, people can design their own sessions. People can bring these ideas to the event. And every event is specific. Every event has their own kind of dynamics, their own role models, right? So um, letting people collaborate before the event and design the event, the content of the live event coming up, it will give people more ownership, more involvement, more commitment, and more, more desire also to attend the live event. Um, because what I also see often at live events, especially at panels, panel discussions that you come there and you know people are talking and, and talking that this stuff that you've shared already, and uh, the time is over and uh, you're just getting to talk about this one important thing that you just mentioned in the last 15 minutes. So if you can just identify this very important thing at a virtual event and then talk about this very important thing at a live event, it will make the experience much bigger, I think. Sounds like a great approach to hybrids or you know, you don't necessarily need to call it hybrid, but a, an experience that has an online part and a, an offline part, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also another event example that we did was a digital festival. It was also in 2020. It was, um, again, on, on Slack with the community. Um, we did very fun lives. So the concept of this event was the community is closed, so you can buy a ticket to be part of this community, but all the sessions, all the education was free. It was on Instagram live and um, you just could, could listen to this and uh, no registration required. And uh, the community became very strong. And then the last session of this digital festival was, okay, let's design a session. How do you want a session to look like? And there were, we were brainstorming ideas. There was, there was an option to create um, a new website. There was an option to uh, create, I think, a new social media account, to, to do another um, like webinar. But then an idea came, it was by Robert Dunsmore, to create an ebook. And then we created this ebook. And every, every speaker of this digital festival wrote about their session and we put it nicely together in an ebook. And that was a great way to store this knowledge, but also show that this event, it's not the end, it's the beginning of something. And um, all the people we met at the digital festival were still very, very strongly connected. We even have a private group on Instagram. And, um, the book is still there, um, and actually this year I hope um, to find the time to to do an ebook tour. So we we just do you know <laughs> we do um, lives on on LinkedIn or uh, YouTube, and we discuss about our chapters and how they have evolved since two years. Um, so there is a lot, there are a lot of ideas in the events industry and we just need to try different things. We need to experiment. And um, what I also learned during these two years, especially with virtual events, the ones that I organized, is that I don't want to do the same, very same event twice. 
if it's like you know if the event is like so successful and the energy is so high and then you do it a second time it's like you know you've been there already you know it so you always need to to bring this excitement back this especially important for virtual events so yeah that, these are my tips for virtual and then live there's a lot of great stuff there and i particularly kind of took that um you know that how interactive events can really create strong community connections i think that's uh that's something uh you know a nice case study in that sense um and i think a lot of times we forget that because we try to uh focus on the reach of the virtual side you know get as many people together as possible but actually getting a small group might be more beneficial in some situations and i think the example you gave is is quite a strong one so I uh, wanted to wrap up. I think we've been discussing all sorts of areas, which I think is super interesting. The, the, the influencer side, the blogging, the, uh, the content design, the, the virtual side. Um, wanted to uh, wrap up with a recommendation from you for, for someone else who we should have on the podcast. Uh, we, you know that we've, we've spoken to quite a, a number of people in the space, but would love to get your recommendation for who should be next. Yeah, so definitely you have to interview Robert Dunsmore. He has amazing ideas. He is a very creative person. And um, he is one of the people who really push for change and inspire other people to, to change the way they think about events. So I would love to hear from him. Perfect. Please. We'll make sure to invite Robert. I know Robert, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll send uh, an invitation for him to be a podcast guest soon. And hopefully uh, you'll enjoy that episode as well. Cool. Thank you. Irina, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you about these topics. I wish you all the best with, with your uh, different work and your, and your less traveled, but very intentional travel. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, and hope that you, uh, you stay connected to, to us and to the podcast and, uh, and we catch up again soon. Thank you. I see you at IMAX. <laughs> Absolutely. See you there. Yeah. Right. See you there. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.